It's the Chronicles of Aguna. It's our Euros 2020 daily podcast, and we are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of our Euro 2020 daily podcast. We've got plenty to tuck into as always. It's been a crazy day on the channel. There have been so many Arsenal transfer stories. If you haven't caught up with all of that, make sure you go back in the feed. We've been linked with James Madison. We've been linked with Aaron Ramsdale. Apparently we've had a bid rejected for uh, Ben White. Emil Smith-Rowe is the subject of interest from Aston Villa as well. So there's plenty of Arsenal talk for you to feed on. Uh, So go and check those shows out. Joining me to review the latest action from Euro 2020, a big welcome back uh, to the main man of Shoot the Defence. Still, it's been a while, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on. I'll tell you what, that intro kind of took me one way because I wonder what's going on here? What's what's this video (laughs) going? (laughs) But yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Pleasure to have you, mate. Pleasure to have you. And also joining me, uh, as always, the brilliant DDO. I thought you'd be smiling, Dan, after just watching the Azzurri literally destroy Switzerland. You look a bit reserved. I am am smiling. This is my happy face. That's his happy face. It's as good as it gets. (laughs) He's happy because that kit still fits after 10 years. 21 (laughs) years young. 21 years young, this kit. It's a great kit. It is a great kit. I've got to apologise in advance for a couple of things. If you can hear the rain beating down on the man cave, I'm sorry. But it is absolutely pissing it down after a bit of a heat wave here in the UK. If I cough, hay fever kills me and it always gets worse at this time of night. So I do apologise in advance. But before we move on, still, I've got to ask. For those of you listening on the audio, you won't be able to see this. But Stel has got a Slovakia flag behind him. Stel is a Greek Cypriot from Enfield. So why have you got a Slovakia flag in the background? Just out of interest. Well, oh, come on. You know the answer already, Harry. Come on. You, I might, know. Know, the, I might okay. know the answer. So as you're aware, I support Omonia, a team in Cyprus from, from Nicosia, or Lefkosia, as you know. And um, one of my friends plays for Omonia, and he also plays for the Slovak national team, uh, Mikhail Duris. So I'm supporting Slovakia for this tournament because Cyprus ain't in it, and I don't think we're going to get in there for, a, for quite a while, to be fair. But we've got a good youth set up, so... Maybe in the next couple of years, not the next World Cup, but maybe the one after. Might see some Cypriots there. Fingers crossed that would be great, yeah. wouldn't it? Right, let's uh, let's kick off the Euro 2020 chat with uh, the game that took place earlier today in Baku. Wales essentially having to play an away game uh, against uh, an Azeri crowd made up basically of, of Turkey supporters. As you'd expect, the two countries have very close ties and the stadium was full. I think there was a roundabout... 400 Welsh supporters there, but everybody else was back in Turkey. And against the odds, DDL, your home country, Wales, went out there. Two brilliant performances from two individuals in particular, Aaron Ramsey, Gareth Bell. They were both brilliant on the day. What did you make of Wales' performance overall? Because a lot of people had labelled Turkey as the dark horses in this competition. And for Wales to beat them the way they did, I thought was incredibly impressive. 
Yeah, I, I do like to refer to Wales, Wales as my current place of residence as opposed, <laughs> as opposed to my home country, but that's just me being picky. Um, yeah, Wales were really good, and I think a lot of your viewers watching that would have been watching Aaron Ramsey's performance and probably kicking their television set because um, he covered every blade of grass and he was absolutely exceptional, well, wasteful in front of goal, but um, absolutely exceptional. But Wales, um, Wales's big players turned up, and I was really disappointed with Turkey in, in the opening game, and I was really disappointed with them again. Um, I think they were tipped before the tournament as dark horses, but what we've seen with Turkey particularly, and we saw again, very little leadership, um, a lot of young players in the side. I think their, old, their oldest player is 35, and then he's seven years older than the next oldest player. It, it's a very, very young, inexperienced squad, and... They they don't really they, they don't really know what to do. Wales have got a lot of big players, um, Champions League winners, players who have won competitions in England, Real Madrid, etc. You know, Dan James is able to um, you know, provide a good outlet to support them. Um, they've got some solid players at the back who are well organised, and it was it was it was a perfect performance of Wales. Really, they 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 were well worth their two 0 win, and I was really impressed. But I think a lot of the smaller nations who have got one or two stars. You know, it's how do you get those other players to do their job unnoticed so those two stars can perform? And I think um, Wales got that absolutely spot on today. And um, and those two players absolutely ran the show and could afford to miss penalties, sitters and, and still stroll home at a canter. That's how that's how good a display it was. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to take away from the rest of the team. That's not kind of what I was saying. It's more of the point of, you know, those two guys really made a yeah. difference. But still, when Wales missed that penalty, did you fear for them at that point? Because it felt like they'd got to a position where they were almost one step away from essentially putting themselves through. And then they blew the big moment. And I got to admit, I was sitting there going, hmm. No, not really. Not really, mate. I, I didn't worry for Wales because I think if Turkey were going to get anything, it would have been like a smash and grab kind of victory or a result or a draw. Uh, I didn't see anything about Turkey that made me think, wow, they, they really got a chance to to get anything out of this game. In wide areas, they were poor. Their deliveries in the box, non-existent. Um, Dan James had the field day on that left-hand side, really. you know, And, and that's rare, isn't it? <laughs> Dan James have a field day in any game. But um, and as you said, Ramsey had opportunities. Bale had opportunities. It could have been a landslide. I just think, as you, as Dan said, you know, Turkey are quite inexperienced. Senor Gunish is back as head coach. We got the job again back in 2019 after winning the league at Bejiktas. I think that was his first league title. And there was a lot of expectancy. And I think that's because they got players playing in big leagues. You know, the, the striker won the league in France at Ligue 1 this season. Chahanoglu's at Milan. Soyuncu is at Leicester. So they've got individual players, but as a unit, they're not anywhere near 2002 where they got the, to the World Cup semi-final. But listen, at the end of the day, Wales did what they had to do. They got the victory and now they've got Italy. So yeah, let's see how that goes, Mr. DDL. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Stel, um, just sticking with you for a moment because you mentioned Dan James there. Dan James looks a really useful player when he plays for Wales. As a Man United fan, obviously you watch him frequently. What's the difference? Is it because he's being deployed in a certain way? Is it because the expectation is maybe a little bit lower? Why does he seem to shine on international duty, but not so much at United? I think it's what you said about the pressure, mate. 
because you know playing for Wales and playing for Man United are two completely different things. Um, all right, no disrespect to Wales, but as you said, the level of expectancy is much lower than Man United. The Man United, you're in inverted commas expected to be challenging for titles and challenging for FA Cups. United aren't anywhere near league <laughs> league title contenders, and I'll say this with my chest out, as they say. Um, but yeah, I think the weight of the shirt is too much with United, and again, it doesn't help when you got social media. Because that plays a massive part, regardless of what anyone says. Footballers pay attention to social media. You know, I've, I've spoken to you about this off air. You know, I do Instagram videos for Omonia, and I've had players at the club saying to me, "Wow, you, the videos that you do, they get us get us going before games and all that." And so players do pay attention to social media. So when you <coughs> message them good things or bad things, they still take it to heart. They shouldn't, but they do. So Dan James has been criticised heavily at Man United, rightly or wrongly. But the way I see it, as you said, again. Um, Harry, it's, it's pressure. Pressure bursts pipes. I think. I think there's a really simple. There's a really simple element to this as well. Whereas he goes away to the national team, he's one of the three or four best players. He he goes to Manchester United. He he he's nowhere near there. So the the, the confidence of going away and being one of being one of the stars in and around some players who are playing for lesser clubs in lesser leagues in, in lower divisions is probably having an impact as well. I find with Dan James, particularly particularly today, which is a prime example really, is he's he's very, very fast, clearly. He's not a bad footballer. But he's not an intelligent footballer yet. I don't think he's developed that brain um, that he needs to play at the top level in the Premier League. And as an example, in the second half particularly, there was twice where He's done the work. He's got himself into the position on the break. He's got the legs. And at no point does he look up to see where the ball's going to go. And there was two or two, at least two really good chances where Wales on the on the break could have killed the game. And um, I just saw a player who hasn't developed his game to that level to have the awareness around him. And at Manchester United, he's not going to he's not going to get away with that because there are better players who, who will come and do that job for him. Yeah, I completely agree. Dan, what about what about Gareth Bale? Because Farbo says uh, he really meant with he really meant it when he said Wales go for Madrid in that order. His pass to Ramsey was ridiculous. I'm not saying that Gareth Bale isn't a good player at club level, right? We've all you know we've all seen what Gareth Bale is capable of. But over the last couple of seasons, there have been question marks. Return to Tottenham didn't really get a look in in the first half of the season. But when he plays for Wales, he's another one, isn't he? Who seems to just I don't know does he care more is that what it is is that is it the passion for his country because Gareth Bale to me today was as good as I've seen Gareth Bale penalty miss aside in a long long time yeah I mean there's got to be that national pride bit that 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 gets that gets you out of bed no matter how old your legs get how tired you are how miserable you're feeling if the national pride doesn't get doesn't get you up for it, then you've got to question why you're still playing football. So I think there's a there's a little bit of that. Um the the pace of the international game is probably a little bit more favourable. And again, it's it's probably the responsibility bit. You know, when he turns up, he he is he is Wells, he's shouldering, he's carrying that team. And there's you know, there's an extra I think there's an extra ten percent that gets dragged out of him for those reasons. I think again, he's not he's not been that bad. Um this season in the games he has played, clearly he hasn't got he hasn't got the legs. And what what I find with Wales now, and it's part of being the main man, you know, when Giggs got towards the end of his career and he started to shuffle back and play deeper and be able to choose where the best place for him to be was, 
he clearly didn't have that luxury at Real Madrid. They found a nice place on the bench for him. At Tottenham, he's still been put in an attacking role. For Wales, he's playing just, you notice he's playing about 10 or 15 yards deeper. Same in the first game. And he was poor in the first game, by the way. But he, he's almost made the transition back um, for the international teams that he, he hasn't made at club level yet. And that's that's where he is now. He hasn't really got his legs anymore. He's still got his strength. He's still got his athleticism. But he hasn't got the pace. So being able to drop back where he has and the ball to Ramsey, like your man just mentioned there, which was, you know, a 35-yard ball from deep. You know, he's finding, he's able to play those positions. And I think that's 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 the level his game's at now. And I think um, he, he gets the he gets the opportunity to play in that way for Wales. And um, in a season or two's time, wherever he is next year, you know, he's going to have to make that transition back. He, he's, you know, he, he's too old to, um he's too old to consistently turn it on, in my mind, at a, a Premier League or even, even even the Spanish club in those advanced positions. Still, what what did you make of of Bale's display today? I mean, I think we can all agree it was it was a positive display. But do you do you agree with that? Do you think he's more suited now to this kind of role and this kind of style of football and being the leader? But to be the leader, you got to play every week, haven't you? True, but he's also got to be happy, Harry. That's the thing. You know, when he was at Spurs, when he hit that... Do you remember before when he was playing left-back at Spurs and he was close to joining Birmingham City and Harry Redknapp didn't have any faith in him and then all of a sudden he just he just hit this this incredible run of form and then was banging in goals left, right and centre, which obviously earned him that move to Real Madrid. And then we saw the Champions League final. We saw against Atletico Madrid and against Liverpool. This is a happy Gareth Bale. It's a happy Gareth Bale. And it's like with every footballer, when they're happy, they're going to be on their job. When they're miserable, you're going to see injuries here and there. You're going to see, you know, a few misdemeanors, a bit of, you know, um, yeah, you know, not turning up to training, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's a happy Gareth Bale. But in answer to your question, uh, Harry, uh, I've been dragging on a bit too long. Yeah, I think Gareth Bale has has adapted. I think it's a, a role that Robert Page has put him in, um, and he's he's thriving at the moment. But again, look who they played. No disrespect. Look who they played. So let's see what happens if they get past that stage and they play a team which much better, with much better quality. I mean, they've got Italy next, so I guess that's a, the acid test. It's a fair point, though, because you look at his goals for, for, for Tottenham and it's, you know, a couple against Burnley, a couple against, um, you know, it was it was that level of opponent where his big performances his big performances came in. So I think it's a fair point about the opponent in, in, in the context of Gareth Bale. Again, don't want to take anything away from him. If you can pass the ball 50 yards, you can pass the ball 50 yards. But against other teams, you may not get the space for that 50 yards. And that's where, you know, your pace and your pace needs to come back in. And I think as he's learning to not rely on his pace, you know, you're going to get two or three more seasons out of him where he has games where where he looks to park. He's a, he's a world-class footballer and, and, he, and he always has been. Yeah, agreed. Well, there you go. Wales is Euro 2020 dream continues they've got pretty much both feet in the next round but of course you know it, it's not conclusive yet there is still a possibility but it's pretty much done and dusted uh so they can uh they can relax i would say might be my famous last words but that's my uh, gut feeling at the moment let's move on to italy the azzurri blue absolutely blue switzerland away um and they hadn't scored three goals in a european championship game prior to this tournament and now they've done it twice in a row dan you must be absolutely delighted what a team what a team um 
yeah, it's brilliant. The first hour was absolutely sensational. We spoke about it, the 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 last show I I um I, I came on how they've completely changed the style um in the space of a, a year and a half and the culture of Italian football has, has completely changed. And the most pleasing thing still for me is at the time when the foot come off the gas, we still found a clean sheet. So I still know if we have to resort back to being, you know, to being resolute, there's there's still the opportunity to do that. And 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 we might need to do that later on in the tournament. But the one touch passing at times, the pressing, the intensity, the <clears throat> the slick little moves and carving Switzerland open time after time and time after time. It was impossible not to get excited and carried away with where this team might go because they weren't really tipped before the tournament. They were probably seventh favourites going in, um, not really considered as potential winners. And maybe they won't win, but I think, you know, everyone everyone can put in one good performance. Now it's two. Switzerland are a, a reasonable side. And that was a really, really good display. I mean, we can take a little bit of excitement off by saying, well, OK, it's two home games essentially against Turkey and Switzerland, and you'd expect to win those. But it's the performances as opposed to the three goals that that have really, really pleased me. It's the, it's the complete control of, of a football match. We've never really been in any doubt whatsoever. And some of the some of the passing and the when when you see unfashionable players and players who aren't household names absolutely running the show that's that's when you know you've got a secretly good side because there'll be people who who aren't us who watch a lot of football you follow Serie A a lot clearly I follow I follow I follow Italian football and 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 still is still knows more football players than than me and you and most people I've met put together because because he covers a wide a wide area but there'll be because I'm old because I'm old say it season seasoned and and I guess the point I'm making is there'll be a lot of people today who had to Google who who Locatelli played for when Taloy came on they'd have been like who's that all right we've most people have heard of Barella by now you'd hope you know Echebbe he's come on he's he's filled in for Chiellini and it didn't look any different and there's a lot of people here in this in this team who aren't household names and when they're running the show to that extent you're looking at a team who who mean business and I'm I'm really I'm really excited. I, I know it's going to be an enjoyable summer now. For me, it's about how complete this Italian side are. They can press you from the front. They can catch you on the counter-attack. They're not afraid to have a crack from the edge of the box. I think they've they've not just transformed the way they play, but they're now a far more complete side, I would argue, than, than we've seen in years gone by. Still, have your expectations for Italy changed, having seen them in the opening couple of games? Or, or were you confident they could turn on these kind of displays in the first place? Uh, here, here comes a party pooper. Um, listen, the teams that they played, I expected them to beat. I expected them to beat both teams convincingly. Okay, so to me, I haven't learned anything. What I will say, though, is they've kept, what, 10 clean sheets in a row now? Something along those lines. So they're not conceding goals, obviously. Um, but I'm interested to see how they will react if they do go a goal behind. Do you know what I mean? Donnarumma has got a couple of mistakes in him um, with Chiellini possibly missing a game or two. I don't know if he's, if he's done his hammy. If he's done his hammy, then he might be out for the whole tournament. I don't know. I'm no doctor. Um, so as I said, I'll be interested to see how they'll bounce back if they do go a goal behind. That being said, though, I remember Euro 2000 when they had the likes of um, Antonio Conte. They had um, 
uh, Del Piero, they had uh, Nesta, all these world-class names, these big names, and they couldn't get over the line. But now they've got a squad with, okay, I wouldn't say every player is a household name. You know most of the squad, but there are players, as Dan said, that come off and people are like, oh, who's that one that's coming off the bench? So they don't have the big names, which could work to their advantage because the pressure has gone down. Before, it was just big names, big names, big names. This, Del Piero's got to perform. Totti's got to perform. This one, this one, that one. Now it's like, okay, well, you know, let, let's see what we can do. And they've done remarkably well. They said on the telly, you can only beat what's in front of you. I agree. But again, when it comes to the latter stages, tournament mode kicks in, knockout mode kicks in, um, and anything can happen. But then again, when you get to that last 16 or whatever it is, you've got as good as anyone chance of, of winning. Yeah, I think... I think you're right. I mean, like, if you take um, Immobile today, you know, he got three chances for his goal. You're not going to get three chances in the quarterfinal and the semifinal. So that's something I'll be a little bit weary of. I look at I look at the front three and they're playing well now, but in terms of clinical ruthlessness, you know, you're going to need that um, if you're going to go and win the tournament. I, I still think semifinals would be a, would be a, a good return for, for the team. Um, but but here's a, here's a question, Dan. If you look at all of the defenses in this tournament, is there one that stands out for you and say, "Hmm, they'll keep clean sheets throughout the whole tournament"? Because I look at, I looked at Germany the other day, saw nothing special about them. France, okay, they're, they're a unit, but they've still got mistakes in them. Their fullbacks get forward way too too much for my liking. England, don't even want to talk about that. So Belgium, again, they've got mistake mistakes in them. So it's not like back in the late 90s where you can say wow like this this team is pretty solid now it's like wow how many world-class defenders are there out there really yeah it's, it's almost um world-class center after definitely a premium and i think um over the last five years we've seen a transition where you know defending almost starts in midfield now doesn't it and and the teams with the clean sheets like your manchester cities of this world you look at their defenders individually, not this year because Diaz is obviously exceptional. But you look at in re- in recent years, and some of their defenders, you think, well, he's not a great player, but they've got 18 clean sheets. And actually, it's because they're controlling the game. And I think a lot of what we've seen with Italy in, in the first two games that have impressed me so much is the control and the speed that the ball's been retained at. If you can keep that up against the top against the top teams, and I guess that's what you're saying, we don't know. We, we've not seen it yet, you know. But if they can keep that intensity and ball retention against the top teams, then, you know, they can win any game of football. And then, you know, who knows what they'd be capable of. But yeah, really happy with what, pleasantly happy with what I've seen over the last two games. Yeah, and you have every right to be. We've got to mention Manuel Locatelli because he's a player being heavily linked with a move away uh, from Sassuolo. Juventus are interested, but there seems to be interest from abroad as well. Um Dan, I'll come to you first on on Locatelli. He's, for me, he's not quite, you know, you look at somebody like Barella and you know exactly what he is. You know that Barella is a box-to-box midfielder who can do damage at both ends of the pitch. I think going into the tournament, a lot of people were of the impression that Locatelli wasn't so much that. It was a little bit more of a deeper-lying playmaker. But the way he sprayed that pass out to the right-hand side and literally galloped into the penalty area, put the ball in the back of the net after some good work from Berardi on the right and celebrated without even breaking his stride. That was something I don't think many people thought Locatelli had in his locker. And then, you know, he he, he just, for me, he just looks far more complete than I think people had given him credit for. Do you think that's fair? 
Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I do. I, I, he's he's got more to his game than 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 we've seen, to be fair. And I guess that the, it's it's the spray of that pass, isn't it, out to the out to the right? And you're like, that's a good ball. That's Locatelli, right? And he's off, and he's gone. And yeah, the, I mean, the Swiss tracking back was horrendous, but it's a it's a sign of a a complete player that. When he's made that pass, he's then prepared to go and make that run in the box. Because if I played a pass like that, I would stand there and look at it, and I'd say I'm quite happy with that pass. He, he he's not. He's he's an all round midfielder, and I think that's that's what we've learned there. We you know we've seen a goal from 25 yards, we've seen tackles, we've seen interceptions, we've seen long balls, we've seen runs into the box, and and I think the fact that he probably wouldn't have started if Arati was fit again is another testament to the to the the secret strength in depth that. Um, that this Italian side have got. Um, so, yeah, it's it's unsurprising that he's he's linked with a move away before this tournament. Um, I think during this tournament, all he's going to do is increase the value. Um, and, and you know, traditionally and historically, Juventus tend to sign um, this sort of player from from the mid to bottom half of um, the Serie A who are, you know, who are, who are shining head and shoulders above. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's where he where he ends up. I just find it amazing how like Ramsey struggled to get into the side. We spoke about Ramsey earlier. He sort of struggled to break through at Juventus. Um, and then Juventus are interested in a player who has similar qualities in a lot of ways in terms of, in terms of the, the, the type of midfielder that he is. It's just, um, yeah, it's really odd, but I, I kind of expect him, I expect him to make a big money move. And I, and I, I, I reckon a big Serie A club won't let him go abroad. Yeah. I, I feel like that too. And, Serie A players, you know, the majority of them tend to prefer, as you mentioned, to stay abroad, uh, to stay at home, sorry, I should say. Um, I mean, for me as a big Serie A fan, it's great to see the Italian team doing well because a lot of people say, oh, Italian football's boring or it's crap or it's nowhere near the, the, the high level again. But it is. It really is. It's improved so much in recent years. It did go through a bad patch and still, you know, Looking from from England here, it does feel, doesn't it, like there's a bit of a snobbery towards the Serie A. So are you glad that they're kind of showing that that, you know, you're talking about 10 of the 11 being home-based players going into this tournament? When I was growing up, and you'll know this because you used to do this as well, and don't deny it. You used to go to Cyprus, you used to go to the tourist area, you used to buy the pirate videos, VHS ones, for two or three lires, right? And I was one video I bought. It was a Serie A season where Napoli won it with Maradona. I, 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 hold on, I thought you were going to talk about some other videos that you could buy there for two ninety nine. But no, 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 no. <laughs> they, they came at a premium. Those ones that you're talking about, all right? Yeah, I know which ones you're talking about. No, no, not those. But um, yes, <laughs> Christ. So um, yeah, I, I, I got that VHS and I watched it. And there were players there like. You know, for crying out, Ruben Sosa was there later on, but prior to that, you know, players like Dunga, players like Ancelotti were playing. Then you had the three from you know, the three Dutch players at Milan. You had the three Germans at Inter. Rudi Voller was at Roma. Uh, Abel Balbo. This this league was phenomenal. And then you go to the nineties when you had Veron, you had Batistuta, you had Zola, Aspria, all these players, and they had they went to a, a bit of a lull because of the money or whatever issues. And people are, oh, Serie A's not the same as it was and there's no quality. But there clearly was quality because their players were leaving Italy to, to come to the Premier League. As I said, Zolo's one of the players. We saw Ravanelli scoring 40 goals in his first season. 
in the Premier League. So the quality has always been there. But as you said, it's this element of snobbery. And I think because it was on Channel 4 before and then they lost it, didn't they? Yeah. And then it went to which which who had Italian football? We had Serie A in the in the mid to late nineties. I can't remember. Sky didn't have to, it, did they? No, no, it went to um it's been a couple of places, hasn't it? But it went to Satanta Sports for a bit, didn't it? And then yep, yep, yep. I think and then um it, it sort of bounced around these, you know, third rate television companies. And and I think that was part of what you're describing though, Stell, because in this country it was taken away, then the money ran out, yep. and then La Liga took over in terms of coverage, marketing, the biggest players, um, you know, your Messi, Javis and Iniesta started mm-hmm. taking over. And, you know, the Spanish clubs then started to get to the Champions League final, where in the early 90s to mid 90s, it was it was Milan, Juventus, um, even Sampdoria had a go in the season you're describing, I think, 1991. Yeah, when, uh, Barcelona beat them in the final. Ronald yeah, they, yeah, I cried. I think I was about six. Um, <laughs> my, my dad, my dad had to tell me to grow up, which is fair enough. But you know, and 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 then you know, you fast forward a, a, a decade or two, and you're getting shitty Spanish clubs, if you like, like Alaves in the in the in the in the UEFA Cup or whatever it was called that week, Europa League. Final, you know, so so basically that transferred in the eyes of the English fan that the league that was rammed down their throat as the best league in the world of all these great players. Well, that genuinely transferred somewhere else. But what that what that didn't mean was that the homegrown Italian quality disappeared where Italy has struggled because of the lack of the lack of exposure to Serie A, Serie A clubs. What what the English fan has then had to use to make their mind up is actually the household name element and what the international team were doing. And over the last five or ten, ten years, the Italian national side has not been producing good stuff at all. Um, and and that's all people have had to go on. But, yeah, it's great to see, as Harry said, when you look at the amount of um, home-based players who are, who, are, who are popping up in the starting 11. And there's some there's there's a lot of there's a lot of them. Um, there's a lot of good players in in, in Serie A. And I, I think if they played England tomorrow, um, it would be a it would be more than more than close. Yeah, but the thing is, Dan, what, what you also got to remember is that a lot of Italian players, I don't know if it's happening so much now, but I remember in the late late 90s, early 2000s, a lot of players had two clubs. They were owned yeah, by two owned. clubs. Yeah, yeah, part owned. So like Locatelli, for example, he was in Atalanta's academy. Now they brought players like Simone Zaza and all these other players, Manolo Gabbiadini, they will come through the, the, the academy. But it was at Milan where he kind of made a name for himself and then they sold him to Sassuolo a couple of seasons ago and now he's possibly going to Juventus so I think it's a lack of patience as well I mean Birlo was at Inter wasn't he before going to Milan or via Juventus or something or other so a lot of players move around clubs Baggio played for about six or seven teams didn't he yeah you don't get a thing you don't get a thing in Italy where in England you wouldn't have someone plays for Liverpool and Manchester United and Arsenal and Chelsea and it's the same with the managers you know, even like Benitez is about to join Everton and there's absolute uproar. In Italy, that's commonplace. Yep, you know, yep. Angelotti, Angelotti's managed Juventus and Milan. Pioli yeah, was at Inter and then he went to Milan. <laughs> yeah, and Antonio Conte. Baggio played for all three of the clubs. So did Ibrahimovic. Ronaldo played for, Ronaldo played for Inter and AC Milan. Like, see, yeah. But it's not yeah. because, it's not because, you know, it's not, how can I, how can I word this? They will say that they will never join these rival clubs. Like they'll still give it the old, you know, the, Antonio rules. Conte is a prime example of that. I'll never work for the Italian FA, goes and becomes the Italian national manager. I'll never work for Inter. 
joins Inter. So, you know, it's not because they're doing it's not because they're not bothered about the rivalries. It's just it, like but what you say is right. It's common for them to kind of recycle around the clubs. And that's because as much as Serie A hasn't been, you know, the greatest league in terms of coverage and marketing over the years, there is a history there that people who are brought up in that league and, and players who have grown up there understand about these clubs. And so to somebody in Italy who's grown up an Inter fan, in their eyes, they'd still rather go to AC Milan than go and join, like De Luca described, the second-rate Spanish club because that history means something to them. Let's quickly go over to the live chat box. Um, I'll just pick this one up. Thank you uh, to PAVFC. I'm assuming you're a Villa fan. Um, I'm going to put this to you, Dan. He says, how highly do you rate Mancini as a tactician? Um, I, the, ju- the jury's out, um, if I'm honest. On this evidence, really, really highly. Because to, if I asked you, what would you, what, how would you describe Italian football? You'd say defen- defensive, boring, um, negative. And in a year and a half off the back of not, not qualifying for the World Cup, he's completely transformed the Italian side. And some people have seen two Italy games. I watch every Italian game. And over the last two, to do that and install that tactic and change the culture of 100 years of our country play football, he's got to be a fantastic ta- tactician. The reason the jury's out is it's not something I've seen in him anywhere he's been before. I wouldn't say what he achieved at Manchester City was anything to do with his tactics necessarily. Um uh, in, uh, um, he, did, he did a he did a reasonable job at Inter Milan, but I never saw I never associated I've not associated him with this kind of this kind of approach anywhere else. So um, what he's done with Italy is is absolutely brilliant, and tactically he's he's got it spot on, and he's adapted Italy to be competitive in modern international football. So really, really highly in that respect. I just don't know where it's come from, or when it began, or how I missed it, but. Yeah, it, what what he's doing is absolutely brilliant. Hopefully, that answers the question in a, in a long roundabout way. Do you know what? Now you now you mentioned Mancini, right? I tell you, if someone donates a fiver, I'll tell you a story that Zelias told me about Roberto Mancini, which involved R nine. Remember Zelias, the the Brazilian yep, midfielder, yep, yep. Inter? Yeah. So he told me a great story. It's a great story. So if someone donates a fiver, I'll uh, I'll tell the story. There you go. We'll squeeze it out of you still. We'll squeeze it out of you. But if you were going to donate a fiver, that would be great as well. Um, Patrick Vieira was talking, wasn't he, in the studio before the game tonight about Mancini and about how, you know, and, and Dan was right. You know, you said that what he achieved at Manchester City wasn't necessarily because of how he was as a tactician. But Patrick Vieira spoke quite openly about how, you know, good he was in terms of managing relationships with players. And that's key as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think look, anyone who re-signs um, Balotelli um, has has obviously got one-to-one man management skills that are that are, that are up there. Of, <laughs> how, how you how you how you uh, how you disconnect yourself from that man and then and then and then and then rekindle that relationship? I, I don't know, but um, you know, I think it's I think if you going back to what we were talking about a little while ago, if you pick a national squad and you're prepared to give uncapped players for unfashionable clubs a spot in your squad at the Euros I think what that does to the rest of the team is it makes people realize that that you are your own man you've got your own style and everyone's got an opportunity and you're fair and you're going to make the right decisions and I think that goes a long way with some people I think we see it at a lot of clubs when dressing rooms break down is when it comes across that players have their favorites or they favor certain clubs or people they've worked with before 
So you look at some of the players in 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 this particular squad and the players he's giving the opportunities to and the players he's selecting um, and in the qualifiers as well. I think that goes a long way. Um, and yeah, Balotelli is, is, is the prime example. But even with Manchester City, who were, you know, a squad being built to win things, when he didn't get into the Champions League that first time when, when they lost to, to Tottenham at, um, at the Etihad, the fact that he was allowed to stay and rebuild that side again, I think that says a lot um, as well, because I think most managers would have been would have lost the dressing room after something like that in a, in a club with that level of ambition. So, it's, again, it's not something I've experienced personally. I don't have any any kind of... Um, any inside information on how on how Mancini works, but just looking from behind the scenes and and the, the journey he's been on, it, it's clear to me there's something there, there's something there where his players trust his methods. There's, there's 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 no doubt about that. And if he was the one that picked those suits, well, that is absolutely top drawer, isn't it? They look fantastic. I must admit, I was disappointed to see he wasn't wearing a nice belt with it though. Got to say that I think he let us down a little bit on that front. Um, let's quickly touch on France. I'm going to come to you still because we got our first glimpse of France yesterday. Uh, most people's favourites for the tournament. I thought it was a very functional performance from France. I thought they kind of beat Germany and coasted through without ever really getting out of second gear. But did you see anything that, you know, caught your eye from France or, or was it pretty much as expected in your view? Um, I think Benzema had a good game after being out of the equation for God knows how long. Um, we obviously know the story between him and Valbuena and why he wasn't in the uh, the national team. I think he had a good game. I think Kylian Mbappe could have done more uh, with his pace, but at the same time, you know, he had the goal disallowed and then he obviously created one for Benzema, which also was disallowed. Uh, Pogba did well. Kante did what Kante does best. So I, I, there wasn't anything that... It's actually, you know, tell a lie. There is one thing that surprised me, and that was uh, Griezmann's work rate. And I think they they um, mentioned that a lot on the on the commentary, how he was tracking back. I, I don't remember seeing him do that too often at Atleti or even Sociedad. Um, I haven't seen him do that at Barcelona. So, yeah, there's that. But it's an opening game. It's it's Germany, you know? And if you, if these players aren't up for it and step up for it, then... They shouldn't be playing, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, no I, I agree with all of that. And, and Mbappe's pace that time when he got past Hummels was that was frightening. I mean, Dan, I don't know about you, but I'd have shit the bed if 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 I was uh, <laughs> up against a striker like that. My word, he was. I haven't seen anyone do that since Thierry Henry to Jamie Carragher. Yeah, um, it was. I, I can't believe that. It just goes to show how fast he was. That. Hummels actually won the tackle, yet we're still talking about it. <laughs> do you know? Do you know what I mean? Everyone seems to forget that Hummels actually somehow won the ball, um, which was which was spectacular, and the ref got it spot on. But yeah, it was um, it it was frightening, um, and you know what that means to France is if you've got any thoughts about playing a high line against France in this tournament, if you needed a reminder of why not to do it, well, you just had one. So that means you're now playing twenty yards further back than you might like, and. How's your intensity? How's your pressing? How's your tactics now? If if that's what you have to do, so that's really, 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 really important point. You know, a lot of teams just speaking about Italy now, they want to control the game on the halfway line. Well, I don't want Mbappe running against Chiellini at any point. So if that means Italy have to change their tactics because of the presence of Chiellini and Mbappe, that's that's massive. It'd be the same with other teams, Spain, 
England, you know, you, I don't want to watch Tyrone Mings in a foot race with Mbappe. I don't want to see it if, if I'm an England fan. So tactically, having that in a locker gives France a massive upper hand in terms of dictating the way they want to play instead of worrying about the other team. Um, I'll tell you what I was really impressed about with France that doesn't seem to have got enough airtime. If we simply lay out what they did, they went and they won away in Germany. That's a big result. Yeah, they've won away from home in Germany in a, in a major tournament. If this was Euro 2020 being held in Germany, that would be considered a major upset. Well, the equivalent is what just happened. You know, Germany aren't a bad side. They were made to look pretty ordinary and they were restricted to maybe a 10 minute spell towards the end of the game where they looked like they might cause trouble. The only weakness I'd say for France is I look at the centre half pairing and I kind of think, is there not a couple of better centre-halves out there in France? You know, they're, 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 they've left a lot of players at home. They've got a really big squad to choose from. And I, the only weakness in their squad on paper is I look at um, uh, Kim Beppe. Yeah. yeah, and I don't think he's <clears throat> he's particularly brilliant. It goes to what you were saying before, though, Stel. How many world-class defences are there mm. now? Um, but, yeah, you said the full-backs like to, like to press high. Again, that's brilliant when you're going forward. You know when they're under the when they're under attack later on in the tournament, we'll see how that works out. But they're the world champions. They've got a great squad. Pogba and Kante in the midfield um, is always going to work, isn't it? So, and they've got goals. They've got goals. Um, they've got goals in three forms at the top end of the pitch. So, you know, they're the team to beat. They're, well, they're, you saw how high um, Teo Hernandez was for the goal. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's strike. But what I have yeah. to ask, and I'm deviating here a little bit, what the hell was Anthony Rudiger doing? Oh, with a what nibble. What was he doing? With a nibble. No, no, wait, no, no, wait. no, for the goal. For the goal. Yeah, he was. He was. He, he was completely caught out there. Completely caught out. Mate, he, he was chasing Benzema. Benzema was going to collect the throwing. Pogba was being man marked, and he chased Pogba. Next thing you know, Hummels is on his own. My, my friend Steve described Rudiger as a as a frog in a blender. <laughs> I like that one. We've got we've got to touch on the the nibble though because it's been brought up. Was it a nibble or was it a bite? That's the big question. Uh, I think I, I think if you're the receipt on the receiving end, it's it's, it's a bite, isn't it? But um, a little a uh, little love bite. I'm, I'm not sure what I'm not sure what he was doing and why. I think in, in an era of VAR, if you're trying to wind up the opponent because he's having a good game. I probably would have gone for an old-fashioned stamp on the toe, but yeah, a bit, <laughs> bit strange. And it seems to have a. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the worst bite we've seen, was it? But I just I found it a bit weird, and uh, it seemed to just be brushed over. And we'll say no more about it. Some weird fetish kind of type bite. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know what it was. Um, just just touching on that French midfield though, Pogba, Kante, really physical, both of them really good on the ball as well, more so Paul Pogba, of course. Um, but I kind of made this point when we were talking about England a few days ago and I got absolutely hammered because I actually wasn't as impressed with England as a lot of people were. And we'll round up the show by just getting sort of Stell's thoughts on England because me and you spoke about them the other day, DDL, and they haven't played against since. But I look at that England midfield and we, everybody was kind of raving about Calvin Phillips, who I thought was effective on the day but was ultimately effective because he was physically in a better place, I thought, than, than Modric, Brozovic or Kovacic, just in terms of being able to get around the pitch. 
making challenges, etc., etc. And he done done well to kind of rattle them and nullify them. Play against a Pogba and Kante, though. Don't get away with that, do you still? No, not at all. And the amount of times he was bombing forward, it's almost as if he was playing as a number nine or like an eight and a half. I didn't see Mason Mount do too much. I didn't see Harry Kane do too much. That's probably because Calvin Phillips was, was getting forward so much. You know, it probably doesn't make sense to people that are listening to this, but if you watch the highlights, you see how much he, he was marauding forward and getting into spaces that Mason Mount should have got into. Um, okay, it was it was a good performance. I'm, I'm not going to say that it was a rubbish performance, but again, for me, that it, did, it didn't impress me. It didn't impress me. I, was, I wasn't on the edge of my seat saying, oh, wow, this, this kid is, is something special. I know he's a top top footballer. You know, I know people that coached him at youth level and they were saying for years that he's going to be a, a very, very good footballer. But again, you're playing against a Croatia team that were tired, you know, players in their mid to late 30s, um, or I'm exaggerating in the, in the late 30s, but mid 30s, early 30s, played a lot of games this season. Um, granted, people will say, well, Calvin Phillips plays for Bielsa and he's going to run him into the ground. Yeah, but he's still young. Um, when England come a, uh, across a team, like you said, Harry, against a France, against an Italy, teams that are solid in the middle of the park and are, are tactically much, much more stronger than, than anything Gareth Southgate could ever imagine to be. Um, that's when we're going to see what they're about. And we, listen, without taking the piss on anything, didn't Phillips have a dreadful game against Man United first half against Scott McTominay and Fred? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he got, he got, he, it was two number four minutes when McTominay was absolutely running the show. But I think with England, and you make a really important point there tactically, um, Kane dropping too deep, the inverted winners playing inwards, Phillips going there, there's too many players in one square. You know, teams have done this before over the years with, with with certain players. You know, at the end of the day, Harry Harry Kane needs to do his job for England and play up front. If he occupies three players and doesn't touch the ball, that's his job done. And if he gets one chance and he tucks it in, that's absolute perfection. But they need to get Harry Kane forwards to create the space for the likes of Mount to, 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 to create more. Um, what you don't want to be relying on going into the later stages of the tournament is Calvin Phillips having to play a defence splitting fast because it isn't going to happen too often, um, is what I'd say. The one positive for England is this. In how many tournaments in our lifetimes have we watched England try and win the whole tournament in the first half of the first game? You know, it's it's a tournament. Breathe it, blend yourself in slowly. In 1994, Roberto Baggio didn't score for the first three games. He barely touched the ball. And then... You know, the rest of the team get you through and then bang, bang, bang. So from an England perspective, and I don't support England um, clearly, but from an England perspective, to go about it slowly, put in a, a measured performance, get the job done and move on, that's great. But the media in this country and the fans in this country need to chill out, relax, let them get on with it. And then when the quarterfinals come, it's a time to start being critical of, of certain players and expecting 10 out of 10 performances from absolutely everybody and we'll drop this player and that player. At the end of the day, it's, you know, the first time, I think, I actually think Gareth Southgate is quite an intelligent man. I don't know if he's the best manager in the world, but I think he knows his stuff and he knows that the old school, like Kevin Keegan style of we'll be 2-0 up in 10 minutes and suddenly we've lost the game 3-2 and we still get knocked out of the group stage. That stuff is for amateurs. This is a long tournament, six games in in four weeks. And the way they went about their business was was a, a very professional, solid performance. Shall I tell you the smartest thing Gareth Southgate has done since being England manager? 
and not yeah, many people talk about this, right? He and the FA are allowing more access to the players before the media. And that is giving him a stay of execution, no matter what happens. Remember Terry Venables, he was destroyed. You know, Bobby Robson destroyed. <laughs> you know, Glenn Hoddle destroyed. Graham Taylor, <laughs> they ended him. They ended him. But with um with Gareth Southgate, he's allowed the press to talk to the players. He's uh you know given them time with the players to talk to them, to ask questions, press conferences, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. He's doing a lot for kick it out, he's doing all sorts of great PR, right? And that is buying him time. So if England have a shit tournament, pardon my language, yeah, we'll get criticized, but it's not gonna be like Graham Taylor, you're a turnip kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? It won't be like Pizza Hut adverts, paper bag over the head. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're not waiting for him with the knives. Is that because he seems like too nice of a guy though as well? I don't think it is. I just think because he knows how to play the media game. I think he knows what he's doing. You know, we've heard it on numerous occasions from people in the press, be it talk sport, be it the Daily Mail, whatever. Such a nice guy. He knows what he's doing. He's he let us talk to this player. It's a game. Access is yeah. currency, as they say. I think he's won the fans over as well. Because I think the bar when Southgate was appointed was, was was pretty low. I don't think anyone thought, oh, Gareth Southgate's here. This is an amazing appointment. We're really happy about this. But we can talk about the opponents as much as we like. He got to a he got to a World Cup semi-final and he restored a little bit of excitement in England in the national side that wasn't there. So I think he's got the fans on side, which helps with that, with that as well. Um, he's well for how some... long, Dan? For how long? Because he I called up it... four right backs and everyone was destroying him on social media. And also, when he when the team was named ahead of the Croatia game, he was getting <coughs> absolutely hammered all over social media about how oh, wrong Trippier it was. Oh, left back. Well, yeah, there, was, and, there, was, and... there was a method behind the madness for that. But, yeah, no. and I think every time... Every time someone criticizes you and and you prove them wrong, it just adds to that credit in the bank, doesn't it? True. And Good point. and you know, there there are some people who will never give anyone a break. If you've decided he's rubbish, you'll you'll find something wrong. But those people become less and less and less. I think to answer your question though, like it can change very quickly. The second round of this tournament is going to be tougher with whoever they play. If he gets knocked out in the second round, it will turn like that, I, I imagine. You know, there'll be a few of his his closest allies in the media might give him a slightly easier time. But but the reality is, you know, he needs to get to a semi-final again, um, which a semi-final in a home tournament when he's second favourites isn't isn't anything better than what's expected. But I think he would get away with that. But anything less than a semi-final, I think um, you know, then the the crowd of the crowd of people on his back will increase. Yeah, the knives will be out indeed. Um, we're coming towards the end of the show. Uh, we have got that £5 donation well, hey, uh, from Levi Griffiths, but he wanted to have his say on Wales. He says, I see all the media writing Wales off. Bale is my captain. We are the real dark horses, not Italy. Put some respect on Wales' name. You must have joined the show late, mate, because we were praising Wales at the start of the show. We talked a lot about how good they were, how much pride and passion they played with, and uh, and how great it was to see them uh, essentially get pretty Where's much through. Can we ask Le Levi Griffiths? That's a very Welsh surname. Can we ask Levi Griffiths where he lives? Not your address and postcode. I mean, what town and city Levi's in? Can you tell us that on the chat, Levi? Drop it in. Dan is uh, it's probably quite close by to you. Um, still, let's have that story then on Roberto Mancini to wrap up the show because we, we got the donation. All right. So, um, 
I spoke to Zelias, who used to play for Inter, and obviously uh, Omonia, and that's how I got the interview with him. Uh, and there's other stories that he told me, but there was one story. It was the, the build-up to the UEFA Cup final between Inter and Lazio. And um, before the game, there was a press conference, and M Roberto Mancini was basically saying, oh, there's a lot of talk about Ronaldo this, Ronaldo that. You know, we've got players that can do damage. I'm not really worried about Ronaldo. Well, Ronaldo saw the, the press conference and he basically said to Zelias, you watch what I'm going to do in this final. <laughs> and the rest is history. He absolutely obliterated Lazio by himself. I, I think Michael Gianni has still got twisted blood, hasn't he? The way he just uh, did that double lollipop and put it... 3-0. 3-0? So yeah. 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 yeah, part of the Prance, I think it was. Part of the Prance or was it the Stade de France? I think it was a part of the Prance. Not sure. Somewhere but in it, Paris. It was in Paris, yeah. But um, yeah, so it, it, the moral story is don't piss off Ronaldo. You just didn't want to do that because he'll tear you apart. So, Yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, let's uh, let's have a look at the chat. Uh, Levi says he's in Cardiff. How far is that from you, Dan? It's, uh, I don't know, 25 minutes. So the reason for the question, Levi, is if Wales, if Wales win the Euros this year, I will personally meet you in Cardiff. If you said Newport, I wouldn't have come. I'm not going to lie. I probably would have drawn the line at Swansea. No offence to anyone listening from those places. But I will personally travel to Cardiff and provide you with an alcoholic beverage of your choice or two. If Wales, he, he will. If Wales win the Euros. He will. He went to Cardiff for the Champions League final and didn't get a ticket, did you? Yeah, I was I was sniffing around for um, for a ticket for the Juventus Madrid final. And um, it, was a, it was a real struggle, um, yeah. to be fair. And um, right at the end, there was people quoting ridiculous prices. So... I got to go in. I got to go in my own club two years later in an unexpected twist of fate. But there you go. There we go. So yeah, if respect on Wales's name has been given earlier in the tournament, but if Wales win, I will personally travel to you in Cardiff and um, ply you with alcohol for a period of time of your choice. There we and are. his his word is good. He said a couple of weeks ago that, or a few weeks ago now. Oh, by the way, can, Harry, yeah. you didn't mention Finland. That I've got two players that play in Cyprus. Shame on you. Shame on you. Shame. Shame. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, DDL's word is good, though, because he did say a few weeks ago he was going to drive down to the, for the Champions mm -hmm. League final to London, and he did it with about three hours' notice, so fair play. Um, and Levi says, I can't blame you on Newport, mate. So there you go. So you're not the only one who doesn't want to go to Newport. Um, yep, we didn't talk about Finland. I've got to be honest, because, to be honest, I didn't enjoy the game. Um, it's probably one <laughs> of the games. It's one of the games I least enjoyed. Remember the, the name Valakari. Remember the name Valakari. That's all I've got to say. I'll remember the name. I will. Um, I must admit, I got a bit excited about Finland when they took the lead, only for it to be chalked off by the VAR. But yeah, well, we'll talk about Finland. I'm sure uh, later on in the tournament because I think they might sneak through in that third place. You know, it's not impossible. Not impossible at all. Right, we're going to leave it there. Big thank you to Stell. Uh, Stell, how can people keep up to date with your brilliant work? Where can they follow you? Where can they watch it? Where can they listen to it? Okay, uh, Shoot the Defence podcast uh, on YouTube, also on iTunes. Follow us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Shoot the Defence. Um, also do a, an Omonia Nicosia podcast called the No Chop This podcast, which is highly entertaining for even the neutral. Uh, and I'm on Instagram at C-H-E-S-T-E-L. There you go. Boom. There you go. Brilliant stuff. Get over there. Get following DDL. Are you on social media these days? I've I've um I've had to leave social media for my own mental health. Um, so not on social media at the minute, but um, 
I, I'll pop up regularly on Harry shows as regular listeners will see. And uh, I have a little, a little pop at Arsenal and I take a bit back. So um, you can um, save your abuse for me for the next time I'm on. You come on an Arsenal channel, you have a pop at Arsenal. What do you expect? Fair is game. Is is what it is. Whoops. Right. We'll uh, catch you all very, very soon with more content. Don't forget, check out our content from the rest of the day. Three Arsenal shows dropped today. Uh, so if you've got some spare time, check them out. Uh, all about transfers, all about some of the rumours doing the rounds. We'll be back tomorrow with more content. Until then, take care. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.